You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest today is the founder of the Acades Legacy Foundation and author, Stephen McGarva. And Steve is going to be here talking to us today about his recent book, The Rescue at Dead Dog Beach, One Man's Quest to Find a Home for the World's Forgotten Animals. So it's a heartfelt book, tugs on your every heartstring, but Stephen does great work and a great job with the book. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about that and also about all the wonderful other rescue organizations that he works with. So it's going to be a great show tonight. Everybody hang tight. We'll be right back with Stephen McGarva right after these messages. You're listening to The Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This your host, Tim Link, and joining me now is author Stephen McGarva. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah, good to be talking to you. Thanks for having me on tonight. Oh, it's our pleasure, and congratulations on the book, The Rescue at Dead Dog Beach. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about the book and how it came about. So, you know, I'm not a writer by background. It's actually my first attempt at writing a book. Very scary thought. Somebody had heard of my story. You know, the way it all began, I, after the experience in Puerto Rico, sitting, doing, you know, paragliding, about to launch off of a mountain with a tandem client of mine, and the winds weren't quite right. He asked me, you know, if, you know, tell a bit of the background story, and I didn't know the guy knew much about me, and I didn't know what this guy did as a profession, and he just kept on asking a lot of questions, and at the end of it all, he said, hey, I think you've got a book in all of this, and I said, yeah, I probably do. Maybe it would help me to get through all of this, you know, sort all of this junk out in my head, everything that happened, and uh, he said, well, who knows? Maybe I can get you a book deal. And I thought, yeah, like everybody in L.A., he's going to get me a book deal. And I just joked it off. And three weeks later, I had a HarperCollins book deal in my hand. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm the guy that failed high school English. And English is my first language, embarrassingly. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, I put my head down, started writing from the heart, started writing kind of a linear story, which made sense to me. And then I started breaking it down. And it was an amazingly difficult process at times, because I think in order to tell the story properly, I had to delve deep into some of the things, the horrible things that happened that I had compartmentalized and put on shelves in the back of my heart. And I thought, don't go there. It nearly killed you at the time. And But knowing how to go there and retreat when I needed was a skill that I acquired over time. It was a very difficult process writing the book. Yeah, absolutely. And it is challenging considering the, the content of the book. Tell us a little bit about the content itself and the things you went through because it's a, it's a story that uh, I don't think you intentionally, when you went to the beach for the first time in Puerto Rico, intentionally thought, wow, I'm here to help the animals. Is that a correct assumption? 
Yeah, no, you're dead on there. You know, I, as much as I would love to tell people, oh, yeah, I just went down there with this heroic thought, and, you know, I'm such a humanitarian to go down and help these dogs. Nope, I went down to selfishly kite surf. I had gone on Google Earth and found the most perfect beach, you know, calculated and looked on the different websites for wind directions and wind strengths. And thought, yep, this is a perfect beach. Dropped my wife off at work. We went there as expats with my wife's company. First day on the island, packed up the gear, went down to the beach and discovered in the near distance as I was shouldering my gear to set up what looked like these coconut husks or fronds sort of piled up on the beach. And I thought, huh, well, that's an obstacle. I need to move that. So I dropped my gear and started walking towards the pile. And the pile wobbled itself onto its feet. And it was this emaciated dog. And I've seen really wasted looking dogs. I've traveled and lived all over the country doing sports. And, you know, I lived in third world countries, you know, working in a refugee camp when I was late teens and young 20s. And I've seen bad, but this was as bad as it comes. And I thought, oh, my gosh, well, I can't just walk away. Well, first thought went to my mind, go find a different beach, find a different beach. And it was just a flash in my head. And I thought, if I do that, it's a choice I'll regret the rest of my life because I internally had been, you know, kind of sniveling to myself, ah, oh, my artwork is dry, I don't feel inspired, my sports, and, you know, I felt just like I wasn't leaving my mark on the world, and doing the sports I do and the things I've done in my life, I assumed I would never live a long life, so you should try to live every day to its fullest, and I thought, don't walk away from that dog, just, you know, you feed it, you love it, and it's probably not going to live long, let it die knowing that somebody loved it, and so I went to the store, you know, threw my gear back in the vehicle, raced to the store, came back with food and water and Pedialyte. And that dog evidently told two friends who told two friends. And (laughs) I've got 16 additional dogs peeking out of the jungle with a wagging tail and a smiling face, you know, feed me. And first day on the beach, first couple of hours, I had 17 dogs in my care. And uh, I joke about the next fatal move for me was I started naming them. <laughs> so, <laughs> you name a pet, that's it, your responsibility. That's your pet. That's right. your pet now. Congratulations. Yeah, exactly. You know, that was my welcome to the island. And I didn't know how they got there, why they were there. They were very, very marred and marked up by what looked suspiciously like human abuse, not just a scratch on its back from sliding under a fence or something, a barbed wire fence. I mean, these dogs, some of them had point of entry and exit wounds, like perhaps a gunshot or, and eventually I found out all of those things that I had a sneaking suspicion about the abuse and where it came from was indeed true. So, you know, I'd unravel or uncovered something that was much bigger than just feeding some starving dogs. That's amazing. Now, I'm sure the audience wants to know, out of those 17 dogs, we won't go into all the details because we don't want to uh, give away the book, but how many of them survived? How many of them stuck with you? So, you know, the numbers grew exponentially. I found new members, had new members strolling onto the beach or being dropped off at the beach overnight, very remote beach. And I had as many as 68 to 100 dogs at any given point from about the third month on the beach on, the numbers just grew exponentially. In the two years I was there, I buried over 1,200 dogs, but my wife and I were able to rescue, oh my gosh, at the time, by the time we left the island after two years, we had rehomed about 270 dogs, Good for you. which the numbers are a horrible contrast, but you know, we did the best we could in absolute war situation and uh but you know 1200 if you can imagine burying three and four Mm. dogs a day for two years and sometimes far greater numbers depending on how bad things got but yeah it was pretty bad 
That's amazing. Yeah, I'm sure as you shook your head because you couldn't believe you're in this tropical paradise and seeing what happened, it's hard for me to fathom. What is the climate like there? Are dogs just nuisances at that point or are they, how are they treated on the island? Obviously, they weren't treated well, but what's the viewpoint of the locals? So, you know, the, the challenging thing is you've got an island that went from being an agricultural island to, I believe it was in 1956, the governor of Puerto Rico decided, let's make this an industrial island, there's more money in it. So they give all these tax breaks to big industries coming in, and now the big industries are pulling out. And what's left? Well, it is a technically a very beautiful island, just surrounded in great water, great beaches, but they have been left to run down because of industry and not tourism to the point now where they're saying, okay, we need to work on tourism. The other islands are surviving by tourism. We need to do the same. And we're in American territory. So, you know, no hotelier wants to have their paying guests see some mangy stray dog stroll across their beachfront. So rather than go to the root of the problem and tend to it and say, hey, why don't we have shelters in place for these poor dogs? They just think, let's do what they call a beach sweep. They go out, ransack, you know, total up the dogs, and then really horribly euthanize them. And uh, so that's their way of dealing with it. It's just they're an eyesore. They're treated as a rodent or a cockroach. They're just treated horribly on the island. And it's, you know, a lot of it really is about tourism. It's about dollars, you know, make dollars and making sense of it. So, and unfortunately, yeah. the dogs don't make sense. Wow, unreal. So now, what's happening on the island today? Do you keep track? Do you have a team there or anything that continues your mission that you and your wife started? Yeah, you know, because of this situation, I mean, I've gone back and forth on the island, which I, I didn't realize how big a chance I was taking going back. I did get a lot of death threats. You think it's crazy, right? You're just trying to help dogs. But because I've uncovered and went public with such a big story, and it really did become not just national, but international, I've really upset, you know, the apple cart of the powers that be. And I'm probably not going to be able to go back to the island, quite frankly. But I do have a lot of friends and wonderful co-workers and rescue folks that do work there. You know, Save Asato is an amazing organization that is the oldest running organization on the island. They run on a shoestring budget. Nobody collects a dollar. Everybody is a volunteer. Pretty much everybody is out of pocket. And they're the group that I support the most on the island. Another group is All Sato Rescue. And uh, they're technically run out of Boston because that's where most of the Northeast is. uh, United States is where a lot of the Puerto Rican dogs, the Satos, are sent to. And uh, they do great work. They're on and off the island. Half the team is physically on the island. The other half is in Boston and doing the legwork. But, you know, those are two really great organizations. They have my back. I have theirs. And I wish I could go back down there and work. But I think I'm a stronger voice. And, uh, you know, I've got a bigger platform to be able to work from up here. I wish I could be on the ground again down there. But I I don't think that's going to be able to happen. Wow. Well, good for you that you have a good team down there, good people supporting you, great organizations there. So everybody, uh, you help support them the best you can. Steve, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, then we'll come back and talk to you a little bit more about the book, The Rescue at Dead Dog Beach. Everybody hang tight. You're listening to Pet Life Radio, Animal Rights Show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. 
Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to AudibleDeals.com. That's AudibleDeals.com. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Gansert, President and CEO of American Humane Association, the country's first national humane organization, here to tell you about our new show, Be Humane, on Pet Life Radio. Each week, we'll be bringing you the latest news and issues affecting our animal friends, and we'll also be bringing you interviews with Hollywood's biggest animal advocates, here to share tales about their pets and what they're doing to promote a more humane world. Our own highly experienced staff and friends of the organization will also join us each week to share what they're up to in the animal world. I hope you'll stop by. Until then, let's always remember to be humane. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Talking to author uh, Stephen McGarva a little bit about his book, The Rescue at Dead Dog Beach, One Man's Quest to Find a Home for the World's Forgotten Animals. Now, Stephen, through your work in, uh, obviously, down in Puerto Rico and your continued work with Animal Rescue, uh, I'm sure there's been a lot of lessons that you've learned. Can you pinpoint one or two of them that you would say, these are the key things I've learned from the animals from uh, just doing the work that you're doing? Yeah, while writing the book, that was one of those things that while writing it, I went through dealing with the anger, you know, some misplaced and trying to figure out, I don't like being an angry person. It's a whole lot easier to, and my dogs are the barometers of my my mood. If I'm in an upset mood, they're the dead giveaway. And the one thing I've really learned about dogs that I always knew, but I didn't put my finger on was a dog lives in the moment. They don't live in the past. Like all of my dogs are some of the most horrible abuse cases you've ever seen. One was lit on fire, and he's the most loving, happy boy. He was scared of feet, scared of men. That's no longer the case because I reconditioned him in those things. He doesn't ever go there in his mind, and it's not like he's a dog that doesn't have a memory. He just, I swear, a dog doesn't go there. They don't dwell on the past, and they're fast to forgive. Again, they live in the moment, and I try every time I start to go in a negative direction in my own thoughts, I just think of 
how would my dog handle this? And I just get over it. And they've actually given me the ability, this gift of this ability to go, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. And take a breath. And I swear that's the biggest thing I've learned from a dog, this learn how to forgive and unconditional love. And even the people that have hurt me or, or even hurt the dogs, I'm, I choose to forgive because getting angry with them and biting at them is not going to help them to change their ways. The only being showing a loving side is going to do it. And that's really the biggest thing I pulled personally from. Yeah, I think it's wonderful, Stephen. That's a beautiful life lesson. And, and, you know, I tell my clients all the time that, you know, don't worry about the past. You know, once the, the animal, once the dog or a cat or whatever uh, has a permanent home and understands what its roles and jobs and love is all about and they're getting food and shelter, they focus on on that present. They learn from that past, but they focus on the present, apply whatever they've learned from the past to the present. And that's exactly what we should be doing. Exactly. I think we, you know, the Dalai Lama says something about that, and I don't want to butcher this and try to quote exactly, but it's, you know, we spend so much time dwelling on the past and thinking about our future that we end up neglecting living in the moment and not spending time with our pets or our children or our spouses and just our families. And you think, wow, or, you know, sitting in front of the computer or something. And I don't want to do that. I want to be a guy that when my wife or my children or my pets walk in the door, I don't just go, hey, and ignore them. I want to be like my border collie, do a whole bunch of spins in the room and give everybody a hug and a lick. And, you know, there's a lot to be said. These dogs don't, and again, I, I hate to say they don't remember, but maybe it's simply they got such a good life now. Why would they think of the past? Yeah, they don't dwell on the past. They learn whatever that lesson was they had to learn, good or bad, and you know, uh, apply it where necessary and focus on the present. And uh, and I think it's pretty amazing. Yep. You hit it right on the head, Stephen. The fact if you reflect back on when you went to Puerto Rico, you were there to have fun, and you mentioned earlier that you lived in the moment every time as if it was your last yep. moment. So why not go out and have fun? And isn't it ironic that your uh, dogs have taught you the same lessons? Exactly. You know, and they the dogs really, I you know, I hear other rescuers say it, and I really always ask them, what is it exactly when you say that? What was your defining moment when somebody says, you know, well, my dogs rescued me. I, they've, I didn't rescue them. And I think, I love that, but mm-hmm. give me the deeper thought behind that. And I can tell you the dogs have given me new inspiration in life and new vision in my artwork. I mean, all of my artwork, I'm doing a show in Boston right now, and all of my work is these human-dog hybrids in sculpture that are based on sort of this confused society of, oh, this is my furry child, and, you know, you've got Gucci and Prada wearing dogs and we've confused the dogs to the point where the dog's going um yeah that's not really my natural position but okay yeah you can paint my toenails and you know so i'm doing this funny sort of spoof on it and it's taken off i mean i'm doing it starting a show tuesday with my artwork and i'm going thank you dogs i was so dry in my work before you guys you they really did rescue me in a thousand ways and in my book i touch on it with even the emotional part of it i always leaned on dogs and i knew that but i didn't know how much they kept me alive as a troubled child until i had to write about it when you got to write your feelings and why you do the things you do you really have to think about it and so writing the book was very cathartic in that sense yeah, absolutely. You can't hide from the truth, and it, it is good to put it out there. And, you know, I think the interesting thing about that, Stephen, is though there are many, many people that didn't go through your exact experience, we've all been there. 
You know, if, if, whether yep. we're taking care of animals, rescuing animals, loving animals, whether we have personal challenges in our life, our work is dried up on us, whatever it may be, we've all been there. And, and I think with you sharing your story, not only is it giving focus on the dogs and, and the great work you've done, but also to let people know that, hey, uh, there's great things to come from this if you uh, you help them and they're going to help open your world up as well. Exactly. And I think, you know, everybody, like many people say, oh, I could never do what you've done. And that's fine. I'm not even encouraging it. But even to go and volunteer at the local shelter and walk a dog, can Mm -hmm. you imagine, or, or pet a dog? Imagine how much that means to that poor dog who is being displaced for whatever reason at this time. That dog, what you've done for it is as great as what I did. Because I just happen to be, you know, a guy that has always lived on the edge. Well, gee, go figure this experience led, was exactly my life. And it put me in things I do in perspective again and why I do the things I do. But everybody has a role. And a dog, you know, an animal, any, any animal out there in a shelter situation needs everybody, you know, just to step in, walk it, pet it, just be there, feed it, bathe it, whatever it means. So everybody has a role. And I always encourage people... You know, don't the journey of a thousand miles starts with that first step. Just take a step. You'd be amazed how exciting the change is. That's absolutely true. You know, there's so many ways to give back, and I encourage people to, uh, you know, work with the dogs and cats, be there, you know, just to support them, bathe them, like you said, talk to them, walk with them. Also, give your talents. You know, if you have skill sets in uh, website development or IT or accounting, whatever, all these rescue organizations need that kind of help and support so you can not only do your tithing of your money, but give tithing of your time to help these uh, beautiful animals out. Exactly. And that's really it, too. I just encouraged an electric, electrical contracting friend of mine in Los Angeles. Like He's saying, oh, I'd love to do something, but yeah, I don't really have any talents with it. Dude, you're an electrician. <laughs> they need better lighting. They need heating in the kennels. You're a good builder. You've got building contractor friends. They need new runs for the dogs. Volunteer. You guys have all this spare material in the back nine. Donate it. And they're going, wow, what a great idea. Like this epiphany. Yes. <laughs> You know, you're right. I'm not an IT guy. My gosh, I'm lucky if I turn my computer on and operate it properly. But there's somebody out there that could build an amazing website for these poor guys that need better advertising or, a, you know, a lawyer, an accountant or whatever. There's something for everybody. You know, it's, that's the beauty of it. We're all different, just like the dogs or cats and animals. You know, there's something for all of us. Absolutely. And they're going to give back tenfold, probably a hundredfold what you give into it. So uh, great stuff. Well, Stephen, tell us a little bit about how uh, people can find out more about you and uh, pick up a copy of the Rescue at Dead Dog Beach. So for me, what I've been asking, my brother is in the process. He's an IT guy. He's in the process of actually building a website, which I want to be able to direct people very clearly if they want to do international work, if they want to do spay neuter campaigns be it Mexico, because I do spay-neuter campaigns in Mexico and whatnot. We need every type of volunteer possible, lots of experience, little experience. I will have that website up and running shortly, and that'll help people to plug in. In the interim, if people would like to friend me on Facebook, and I am personally managing it, and I will take time to get back in touch with everybody on a personal level, my commitment. And, uh, you know, other than that, if somebody does want to donate, what I'm encouraging, you know, donate financially or even time if they do want to go down is, again, Save a Sato in Puerto Rico in San Juan or All Sato Rescue. Again, those are the two that I'll give the shout out to directly. And then as far as the book, Amazon, HarperCollins.com, HarperCollins.ca, Chapters Indigo in Canada, they all carry the book 
So, you know, Barnes & Noble, any of those places do have the book available. Excellent. Sounds good, Stephen. Well, everybody uh, go to Facebook and uh, befriend Stephen a little bit. Keep everything posted. Uh, when you get the website up and running, uh, drop us a note, Stephen, so we'll get that posted on Pet Life Radio and all of our sites. And uh, encourage everybody to pick up a copy of the book, The Rescue at Dead Dog Beach, One Man's Quest to Find a Home for the World's Forgotten Animals. Stephen, great work on the book. Great work and all you do to help the animals. It's uh, always appreciated and uh, always heartfelt. So I, I do appreciate it. And thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, thank you for having me. And you just have a great day, Dan. You too. All right. Well, we're coming to uh, the end of the show today. I want to thank our listeners for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank, once again, author uh, Stephen McGarva coming on the show. Everybody pick up a copy of the book, The Rescue at Dead Dog Beach, and uh, make sure you have some tissues handy, too. It's definitely heartfelt. I want to thank all of our uh, sponsors and producers for making this show possible as well. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests that I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, you can visit me and my website and my tab on Pet Life Radio. Just go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on the Animal Rights icon, and download all the episodes of all the wonderful authors, writers, and bloggers that we've interviewed. And while you're there, uh, be sure to check out all the other hosts and shows on Pet Life Radio. That's PetLifeRadio.com. You can also, while you're on uh, there checking out my bio, uh, you can find out more about some of our latest initiatives. The audiobook, Wagging Tails, Every Animal Has a Tail, is now available on audiobook on Amazon and ACX and iTunes. As well as through Pet Life Radio, you can find out more about the four-part audio AC workshop that we're offering. So great stuff there. So click on uh, the animal rights icon, find out more about those as well. If you have any questions for me or comments or ideas for the show, please email me. You can email me at tim at petliferadio.com, and I'll be glad to entertain your questions and try to answer them the best I can. I'll entertain your comments and ideas for the show and bring on the authors, writers, and bloggers you want to hear from the most. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.